0: This is Linux Unplugged, episode 23 for January 14th, 2014. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show. That's surrendering to the CES plague right this very second. My name is Chris. My name is Matt. Hey there, Matt. We got a fun episode this week. Not only has there been some big news in the Linux gadget space that is actually going to impact our homes, but we've got our first in-studio guest for Linux Unplugged. It is from Unfilter and Geek Gamer TV and Minecraft. Me, our very own. Mr. Chase Nunes. Hey there, Chase. Hey, gents. How are you? Chase, it's great to have you in studio. Thank
1: you. You know what? For episode 23, by the way, I love the number 23 because
0: I was born on the 23rd of so, January. So
1: I got to say, nice. this is kind of like the perfect wow. start, right? Wow, it, it all is comes together. meant to happen.
0: You were going to join us on Sunday on the big show, Linux Action Show, but you got the CESRs.
1: Yeah, CESRs. I was... Uh, I. I talked to you the night before, and then the next morning I woke up and was like, "Oh my god, I cannot do
0: this." Well, it happens, especially yeah. when you go on a big trip and you walk like a million miles, and you talk to like a million people. Yeah, you end up could. contracting. I mean, I went to Linux Fest Northwest, and I was sick within a few oh, yeah. hours. Yeah, oh yeah,
2: we, we literally <laughs> thought we we're gonna have to get a wheelbarrow. It was bad. Yeah, yeah I, it
0: was funny because I went out to the truck, and I'm like, "Well, man, I'm just gonna go for a lunch break. I'm gonna go yeah. out," and then I leave the building, and I immediately start throwing up. Like, yeah. uh, like. I'm sorry by the way to the Bellingham. I, I did make it to the toilet thankfully, but then I get out to my truck and then I'm like I had like a cup out there. I was throwing up in that. I'm like, man, I don't think I'm going to make it back in. So I got I've a great tip. I got town. a
1: great tip like and I didn't follow through on it was to have my own personal bottle of hand sanitizer. Yeah. And it didn't happen. And so, obviously, uh, by the way, the whole crew is sick. John is sick. (laughs) Joe got sick. Actually, John is on my couch right now because he's been out of it since Saturday, pretty much.
0: Wow, he really got it.
1: Yeah, he really got it hit hard. So, So the tip is bring hand sanitizer. Hand sanitizer, maybe wear a mask. Actually,. Head to the health and fitness pavilion first. Oh, they have one? Yeah, sure. And then just, <laughs> and talk to them and say, hey, what kind of new technologies and innovations do you have to keep me healthy? You grab that first, <laughs> then you hit the rest of the co- convention, so you're ready good to
2: go. Stuff. <laughs> wow, that's good. <laughs> well, Thank you. Well, I'm feeling educated. This yeah, I know. Cool.
0: Yeah. Now I feel like I have a little insider's tip on if we ever go to <laughs> CES, how to handle that. Go to the health you, you, pavilion you first. Have to,
1: you have to go. Okay. I mean, it's, it's one of those experiences that uh, – by the way, I, I believe I was reading a stat that this year CES was the, high, uh, the, the largest attended ever. Really?
0: Because I heard a ton of people couldn't make it because of the snow and ice storms a and lot, stuff. Well, a lot of people showed up late. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: But no, it was very, very highly attended. Oh, that's Depending cool. on, the, on the, the hall that you were in, of course.
0: So I want to pick your brain on Linux-loving gadgets that you saw yes. there and just cool stuff you saw there. Uh, but as is per, t- per tradition here on the uh, Unplugged show, we start with feedback. We do the email up top. Uh, because uh, statistically, email is the thing that makes people tune out the most because it's a little boring for a lot of people who aren't interested in that topic. So what I figured to do is we put it at the top of the show. That way we spill off as many people as possible <laughs> right at the beginning. Get rid of them. And we stuck with that format since episode uh, one. So damn it, we're right. going to continue on. So – uh Michael wrote in, and st- uh, Chase, I know you're going to have uh, some opinions on this because you saw these at the uh, convention center. I know Matt's got opinions on these, especially in terms of the economics. Uh, Michael wrote in he said, the most exciting feature for Steam machines. Hi, Chris and Matt and Chase. In my humble opinion, the best feature of the new Steam machines is, the, is that the devices will still be usable in five to seven years when the current console cycle ends. It bothers me that companies like Microsoft and PlayStation move away from their old consoles to the new ones, and the leftover hardware is just virtually useless. The hardware is still decent and could be used to serve a purpose if Linux could be easily installed on them. Example, why can't the Xbox 360 be refurbed and set up as a desktop computer for a kid whose parents can't afford a regular computer? With Steam machines, this would not be a problem, as the console is already running Linux. So, once finished with the device as a gaming machine, it could still serve a useful purpose rather than sitting in the trash heap. Looking forward to another great show on Sunday, Michael. What do you think... Of this chase of uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna you p- p- saw these I'm gonna steam pick, machines, I'm going to pick
1: this email apart, and you have some People problems are gonna with hate these. Me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, so what was your problem with the steam machines? And tell me your thoughts.
1: Okay, well, well, first off, can I respond to the Michael? Email? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, well, first off, as a gamer, first and foremost, to say that the old Xbox 360 will be completely useless since they, you know, Microsoft and Sony have moved on uh, mm. to the new generation of consoles <clears throat> or PS3. Or- it is completely unfair because of the fact that. I don't know, there's an entire incredible library of games alone mm. that need to be played on the 360. So to say that it's virtually That's true. useless... I mean, I still
0: play SNES games.
1: Yeah, so to say that, that it's completely gone, and not only that... There are some incredible apps that work on the Xbox three sixty. Even Plex works incredibly. But what about this fun. ability?
0: What if you could put a DVD in that drive and you could install a desktop Linux distribution? You could be browsing the web, you could be checking your email and use it. It's got it's got PowerPC processing yeah. there.
1: What, well, what, I mean, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, it would be nice. And actually Sony had that for a long time, remember? They had the ability. They pulled it, yeah. And they and they pulled it. So maybe here's the thing. If if they could pull it, maybe they can put it back on, right? Maybe once the life cycle has completed for the PS3 and it's completely gone, yeah. then say Sony goes, all right, well, what we're going to do is we're going to give you guys the ability to install your own custom OS like we did before. So that could happen in the future. We don't know. Mm-hmm. So we can't say automatically that they're going to cut it off and okay. not make it happen. Okay. The Xbox, original Xbox, by the way, heavily moddable. Could, you can make your own custom machine. A lot of people, that's how Xbox Media Center, XBMC, got started, remember? The mm-hmm. original modded Xbox. Mm-hmm. So you got that. Um, At CES, we saw loads, (laughs) about 15 different steam machines from all major manufacturers, you know, Alienware, Falcon Northwest. Yeah. Beautiful boxes, by the way. Very, very well-innovated. Right. I was pretty impressed by that. Micro-ITX They're really trying hard. They look great. But here's some of the problems that I foresee happening. Okay. First off... You have a wide price range mm-hmm. of boxes. From five hundred to six thousand dollars. From five hundred to six thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Now, obviously they think that if you're gonna buy the low end, you're gonna be streaming from a higher end compatible gaming machine that is not really meant for you to game on. Now, I don't know about you, Chris, but when I purchased a machine, say a computer, say five to seven years ago, mm-hmm. how honestly usable is it today mm-hmm. other than Basic basic, stuff. basic web browsing yeah, and yeah. email and stuff yeah so it's it's very hard to say. one of my issues is I don't know where valve and Steam is going with this mm-hmm. because of the wide price points mm-hmm. and the wide variety of what you can get. Um, they recently interviewed uh, I believe his in gadget that interviewed the uh, CEO of uh, Microsoft's gaming division and asked him what he thought. And he goes, well, first off, I, I know better than go head-to-head against Gabe Newell. I know that. But he says, I'm not really too worried because they're not really in our target mm-hmm. because of the wide variety of different mm-hmm. of, of different. Uh, of different Platforms.
0: Well, let, Matt, let me ask you this. So do you think if uh, the Steam console, after two, three u- years of use, can be repurposed as a desktop computer that could do email and web browsing running a Linux desktop, does that change the value equation for you? Because I know you've been critical of the high prices and you think, you know, they've got to get that down to about $300. Does, it cha- does a $600 Steam box seem more reasonable if two, three years down the road it can also become a decent desktop?
2: I think that's delayed value. I mean, the value certainly there, and there's no question of that. And you'll certainly be able to get some value out of that, but I'm not entirely sure that the person that initially dropped $600 in a gaming console is looking for longevity value coming from uh, a Linux box that's going to be then dated specs at that point. Yeah, it, You're kind of mixing your apple juice and your orange juice there. It doesn't. It just doesn't really make any sense. I, I guess, Someone buys a mid-range box, maybe, but, but $600 and I don't know. That, yeah, I guess tough. people
0: aren't going to look at that as a desktop uh, replacement <laughs> later on. Yeah, so...
2: Now, it, although there's one scenario um you, you're fairly affluent things are grooving and then you buy you buy your six hundred dollar box then you lose your job everything goes to crap and you now are trying to repurpose your existing equipment been there so you yeah. know yeah absolutely yeah. That, now then i could see it making sense and if that's a business model the way the economy is going it's certainly possible i mean that could work out for well
0: them. okay so you know i know chase <laughs> is know. critical of the streaming component of it but don't you think that the fact that you could buy uh so say you get the mid-range uh Sure. So you get a six hundred dollar steam machine today.
1: Well, that would be a low range, right. Actually, right. And maybe yeah.
0: it's got, maybe it has a discrete graphics in it. Maybe it's the Iris fifty two hundred Pro. Right. You know, it's somewhere in that yeah. range.
2: Integrated stuff there. Yeah. yeah,
0: but if if this steam box, if your primary, if your primary goal is to play side scrolling platformers, and if your goal is to play controller based games, maybe this isn't a big issue because again, it only has to project, it only has to send a ten eighty p signal. That's correct. It doesn't have to go beyond that, right? No. So that that lowers it a little bit. It doesn't have to do like a fourteen forty p display. So, and then on top of that, this machine continues to be relevant because maybe. Maybe you buy a Steam box, a mid-level Steam box, for a couple of years, and then after a couple of years, you buy a new desktop PC, and now you use the streaming capability, and all of a sudden you're playing the latest games again on your Steam box.
1: And, you know, there's, there's another problem here, and uh, it hasn't really been touched on too much, and uh, the chat room brought it up a little bit and, and talked about the controller, mm. the recommended controller, I right. should say. The, yeah. Um, and they had a demonstration unit there.
0: Did you get to try the controller? Yeah, but... You did? Yeah, but... What did you think?
1: Here's the thing. It, it's a controller. <laughs> yeah. So right. so if I'm playing a first-person shooter, say like you know Half-Life 2, uh, I believe the the uh, the demo was Portal 2, but um, it does. It's a controller, right? You know, we for us who play first-person shooters, especially on PCs and right. Linux machines. Yep. It, it it's all about the keyboard and mouse yeah right? oh well yeah and so if mm-hmm. they if they came up with a and then and a lot of people said well you could just plug in your own keyboard and mouse into it okay that's great so what am i gonna have a 10 foot usb cable or a wireless a wireless yeah. but then when you have something that's wireless it always introduces latency well let
0: me flip that question around if you could plug that into your xbox one today wouldn't you
1: uh well yes and actually we saw something like that at the oh. show too <laughs> okay
0: all right but you see what i'm saying like yeah. y- you would do it you'd be willing to do it and isn't the option to be able to do it nice yes um and i and think cleanly and i think one of the things that's cool about the steam boxes is they're willing to work with uh outside innovations like the oculus rift valve right. has been working directly with oculus rift wouldn't it be cool if the first thing that supports oculus rift is steam boxes because yeah. it's not going to be the xbox that's one true. or the playstation 4 no it's they 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 might come up with their own solution mid product cycle and release it kind of like microsoft released the connect you know towards the end of the xbox 360's life cycle Correct. but valve could be there day one with oculus rift support yep. and that could sell a few steam boxes too that would help
1: yeah. that
2: would help
0: i think you know like we've talked about before uh, the prices are too high now and they're going to remain too high for about at least a year
1: it, it it depends this is the weird thing right what is their goal. What is their target market right. here? Are they trying to compete directly with consoles? Well, if, the, if that answer is yes, then they have to compete on price point and features.
0: But couldn't you have flipped this conversation around 10 years ago and said, what is this gaming company? doing making this distribution platform. They've got a couple of games on there. It's wrapped in this horrible DRM. Right. And what happens to the used market? Like I go down to GameStop today and I sell my old games and I buy a new and I buy a new game. You can't do that with Steam. This is never going to work.
1: Well, they were right. able to do that That was
0: that was the conversation yeah, 10 years but ago. But they were
1: also able to do that from the beginning cuz PC gamers were always uh kind of uh, we were kind of brainwashed in a way like once you put your code into the computer, right. yeah. you can't move it anywhere <laughs> yeah. else, right? Yeah. 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 So that ha- that that happened from the very very beginning. Yeah. And Early so, enough. And so, what when Valve came in with their distribution platform and said, "Hey, we have a way that you can keep all your games in one place. You uh, you know, can always reinstall them whenever you want. Yeah. We're not going to go anywhere." That's why they've been successful with that. Yeah. Uh, but on the console side, you know, you've never well, you've never had to, with the exception of a few games, put in a code to be able to play them.
0: Yeah, you're starting to see it now, actually.
1: Well, EA. EA said. Well, we're not going to do that anymore. They actually said we're getting rid of the codes for online play. Oh, good. Like, for example, if you bought the newest, I, I know you're a football fan, Chris.
0: <laughs> yeah, I you, like the sports yeah. ball. I mean, actually, if I'm ever going to watch football, it's going to be this weekend.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Sunday game's going yeah. to be incredible. I know. Uh, let's say you bought Madden. Well, the only way you could play Madden online is by entering the code that came with the game, and that EA was doing that to prevent resale. Yeah. So let's say you went and bought that game used. You mm-hmm. would have to buy a new code right. from EA to play that. Which is online. just crap. But they they said they're going to discontinue that practice.
0: Oh. I'm nice of them. Yeah, isn't that yeah. nice? Thank you EA. Well, uh Michael good email and thank you for sending yeah, that to the show. Totally. Uh, and it's going to be definitely a watch and see thing because there's, you know, and then that's not even getting to the ecosystem. Oh, by the way, or the will, marketing. Will, will, will I buy one?
1: Yeah. Oh, probably yeah. Probably for Or sure. build one. Yeah. Or build one, and that's the best part, right? right? Yeah, can, it is. You can build your own, right. And then have that that back end ready well, and for see, you. This
0: is as like Gabe said himself. He's not too worried about their 63 million or whatever it was Steam users. It's bigger than PS4s yeah. or the Xbox Onlines. Yeah. And and to be honest with you, uh, if they could just sell to a few small percentages of that existing market who are just radically radically passionate about Steam. Um, and, and want to hook up a Steam box to their TV to just to get a very trouble-free gaming experience. I, I floated this idea on last. I kind of came up with it on the spot, and I was wondering what you thought about it. I think Mac users could be the perfect target for Steam boxes, because they hate Windows, they don't want to futz with a PC, they don't, even want to, they don't even want to bother with boot camp because they literally hate Windows, a lot like some of us Linux users do, and so why not avoid all of the Windows hassles and just buy a Steam box appliance, that way you get your PC games, and you still get to have your pretty Mac. Well, wait, wait
1: a minute, what if uh, I just bought a Mac Mini? I mean, what's the difference there? Put then?
0: SteamOS on that back. Right, exactly. <laughs> why, why just buy a Mac yeah, Mini, right? You could. You could dual boot it, I suppose, or yeah. something like that. I'm just I saying, mean, I, I think there is a market, but I think initially that market is going to be people who are willing to pay that premium price. And that's right. really my point.
1: Right. No, absolutely. And then,
0: and, and then once we're through that yeah. phase, we're really going to see what Valve's endgame is.
1: Yeah, no, totally.
0: All right, well, Jay wrote in, and I think we'll uh, we'll uh, bounce this one around for a little bit, he says, uh, Gnome still has a lot of an uphill battle ahead of it. In your recent Gnome 3 defense episode, you mentioned a theory that people that are adverse to Gnome 3's changes are those that resist change in general. This isn't true for everyone. Some have valid complaints, others just complain because they can. Personally, I'm someone that loves change. In fact, I crave it. But Gnome <laughs> 3's changes are just plain bad. And I think that's the first problem with Gnome 3. Tweak tools and extensions should not be required... In order to make this experience usable now, Matt, I think you probably agree
2: with that right? I would agree with the fact that I think they should include them i don't I don't have a problem with them existing. I just think the fact that they're not provided ah, yeah. by default doesn't make right. any sense to me,
0: yeah, especially um, especially the really popular ones
2: and of course, desktop uh environments continue to have the fanboyism as soon as you say anything <laughs> about x y z desktop environment, yeah. they come out of the woodwork, and that's that's just an expected thing it's kind of sad, but it, it is what it is. Um, I, I kind of agree with him, though. I think it's got a lot of growing— wor- a lot of growing pains and growing room. It's going to have to kind of find its way. I and don't he,
0: know. He says that it's almost as if developers are saying, "Yes, we know the default user experience is bad, but that's okay because we have a tweak tool and extensions. It's easy for the GNOME developers to not be concerned with backlash when they're basically telling their users to install extensions and fix the problem themselves."
2: Uh, you know, and I, of course, go back to the, if you don't like it, don't use it. Um, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, that's kind of my big thing. It's like, I don't necessarily care for gnome three, but rather than becoming emotionally invested in it, I'll revisit it later and see if I've, you know, become more interested in it at that point. But sure. I don't see a lot of value in like going off about it because it's just like, uh, you know, yeah, it's not for everybody. I think they do a lot of things right. I like the unification idea. I think that's very cool. Something to watch. But it's not quite there yet, and that's okay. But why, yeah. why rip on it? You know, you know that's we, my big thing.
0: We got an email from a guy who's been using uh, GNOME three on his Arch-based touch uh, hmm. laptop, and he says right. that it, it works okay. But there's also there's still a few areas that it seems like the code just hasn't been hooked up yet. The plum is not quite done yet. Sure. Uh, he says, uh, you know, he went on to say, anyways, awesome show, and I hope the GNOME gets their act together. But, uh, they have okay. a long way to go. He says he predicts that someday GNOME will probably be completely awesome. By that time, it happens though. I wonder if I'll have any user base left. You know, I've been using GNOME 3 since our episode in defense yeah. of GNOME 3. And what I've decided to teach myself is every couple of days I learn a new keyboard um, shortcut. And now like I'm I'm like I've got windows down where I can snap them to the different edges of the screen with the keyboard. I can move them between workspaces. And then somebody else, right. and I'm sorry, I forget their name right now, but somebody in our community said, Chris, think of the activities as anytime you start something a little bit different, do it in a new virtual desktop because you can create them and destroy them on will. So what I have done is like if I open up a new tab, sometimes I'll, I'll 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 think well maybe this is actually better to be done in a new workspace, and I'll move it to a new workspace. And I've been working that way, uh, so I've been trying to get GNOME Three down to where it's muscle memory, so I can then really say okay if I retrain myself to do the GNOME way of things, is it usable? And like the things like Super Key M and it shows the notifications and stuff like that, I'm actually really starting to dig it, but it does. Require that you change the way you use it a little bit and you kind of learn sure. its new way. But I am trying to, trying to find out that if I totally subscribe to their philosophy, do I become more efficient? But it's one of those things that just takes weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of usage. To get <laughs> yes, so it does. That is where I'm at right now. Mm. All right, well, before we move on, uh, we had a great post in the subreddit and it came from uh, Shims, Shimmy C. Shimmy C., and he says DigitalOcean posted droplet distro usage stats. It's pretty much exactly what you would expect. And uh we were talking last week on Linux Unplugged with uh Mr. Popey in the Mumble Room, and uh we were talking about how how uh, CentOS and Red Hat had merged and how uh right now the uh the stranglehold that uh oh dang it, I just I changed that. The stranglehold that Ubuntu has on uh on cloud providers is strong, maybe that's one of the reasons Red Hat wanted to work closer with CentOS. Well, DigitalOcean posted their um Droplet stats, Ubuntu has 66% of active droplets on DigitalOcean. Debian has 12%, CentOS has 18%, and Arch is coming in at a mighty (laughs) 1.34%, only to beat out Fedora at 0.81%. Wow. So there you go, Ubuntu rocking 66% of the DigitalOcean droplets. A lot of that is direct LAMP stack. Sometimes it's WordPress deployments. Docker, actually, since this is the first year of Docker... Uh, A respectable uh, 1.74% of deployments use Docker. Now, what is DigitalOcean? DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Users can get started with a DigitalOcean droplet as little as 55 seconds. Now, I'll make a personal challenge to you, dear listener. I was able to do it in forty four seconds. That's right. I'm dropping the gauntlet right here on the Linux Unplug show. Can you do it faster? Perhaps. Go over to DigitalOcean and find out. And while you're over there, take advantage of our brand new promo code LinuxUnplug January. That's gonna get you a ten dollar DigitalOcean credit. And if you use the five dollar rig like I've been using, that's gonna get you two months of the DigitalOcean service. They have a super intuitive interface with any power users can even replicate it on a larger scale with their straightforward API. Chris, I'm confused
1: here. I, I know I'm a noob in this arena. Yeah, yeah. What it does DigitalOcean do?
0: So uh if you if you wanted to go over to DigitalOcean site, you could spin up a full fledged server in okay. like under a minute and you could okay. have like an Ubuntu rig. So you were recently uh, playing around with airtime. Airtime, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh Ubuntu, which we got going finally. Yeah, and yes. it's really easy to get them running on Ubuntu.
1: And oh, I, well, yeah. Did you do
0: it on CentOS?
1: No, no. We finally get, we had to go to Ubuntu. We couldn't yeah. do it on CentOS. Yeah. So,
0: for example, you could go over to DigitalOcean. You could log in if you use our promo code Linux Unplugged January, you'll get two months of DigitalOcean for free with a ten dollar credit. That gets you five hundred twelve megs of RAM, a twenty gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer, which is great for an audio streaming. Yeah, rate. that would be perfect. And uh, you could deploy it immediately from the get go with Ubuntu thirteen ten ready to go, and then you could get Airtime installed and get everything configured just the way you want it, and then you can save that droplet and then deploy it later. Like, next time, if you want to deploy a secondary stream server to do a lower bit rate. Wow. Yeah, it's really simple. Where are they, where are they located? Where, where are the... Well, Chase, I'm glad you asked, because DigitalOcean has data centers located in New York, San Francisco, and Amsterdam. This wasn't planned, by the way. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm
1: honestly in- well, <laughs> inquiring. Actually,
0: I don't know if you knew this, but yeah. uh so for the Unfilter show, yeah. I distribute the supporter show via, via BitTorrent Sync. Yeah. And yeah. I, I host it here at my house on the Fios connection, which is right. a 50-50 connection. It's pretty good. Yeah. And then, because I'm on the West Coast, I have have a DigitalOcean VPS on the East Coast that has a copy of the BitTorrent sync, oh, Wow! so that way folks That's can nice. get seeding it from both sides of the United States, and it really helps with performance. Wow! And it's really straightforward. But guess what? This is so freaking awesome. DigitalOcean is really excited because they have a contest going on right now. They're giving away $10,000 in free hosting credits to the user that spins up the millionth droplet. That's right. You get 10000 thousand dollars of digital hosting of digital ocean hosting credits if you spin up the millionth droplet now look at this right now cool. nine hundred and eighty three million is at the <laughs> wow. and change so they're really really close you guys so go over to digitalocean.com use our brand new promo code LinuxUnplug January get the ten dollar credit and maybe just maybe you can spin up the millionth droplet and get ten thousand dollars wow ding. wow that's that's pretty incredible yeah pretty you know cool. what you know what chase that does deserve a ding stand by there yes. you go. <laughs> <laughs> so go check it out. Go over to DigitalOcean.com. dot com and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Uh, I uh, I've, I've seriously that ever since I put my BitTorrent sync over there, it's just boom. People are downloading the show at, at it. Absolutely saturates their connection. That is awesome. Yeah, dude. it it really makes shipping nice. the files super quick. All right, guys. Okay. Well, uh, there's a lot of things to talk about, but Chase, before we get into uh, some of the other topics I kind of had on the agenda, now that we've got you here in studio, yes, I just wanted to kind of pick your brain on what was if you could if you could just narrow it down to like I mean, is it possible? Is there one thing that one? you really thought was just amazing at CES or one well, theme? Well well, was it wearables? Be honest,
1: wearables was there. All uh, you know, 4K TV, ultra high def was everywhere I mean especially in the north and central halls where you had all the major manufacturers you know sharp LG Sony uh, you know Nvidia had a big booth too showing oh, yeah? off their their tegra technologies inside yeah. cars yeah um, obviously they had a, a demo set up in the parking lot where BMW uh, had their electric cars running on Nvidia with the, the front passenger wow. it's incredible stuff. was
0: anybody dropping the Linux Name or bomb or didn't you see any Tux logos anywhere? Or?
1: Didn't see any Tux logos anywhere, but Linux was obviously the underlying operating system on a lot of platforms. I mean, you could see with you know with uh, with the Sharps and, and the LGs and stuff mm-hmm. where you know they have their their customized overlays with yeah. like with LG their...
0: was actually running WebOS. Yes,
1: yes, and we saw that. What did you think? Um, you know what? For such a, I, I call it beta right now. Obviously, it's not yeah, out there in yeah. full front. But it was very, very smooth, yeah, and it worked very, very well. The one of the one of the things I hate about all TVs that have these built-in interfaces that it it feels sluggish. Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, right, and then it finally kicks in, and it's like the overlays are not as smooth. This looked very, very good.
0: Well, one of the things I've heard is a nightmare with these smart TVs is like every smart TV, even like the mo- different models have their own SDK and they're yeah. super complex yeah. to write for. But if you had WebOS with yep. HTML5 and, yep. and that kind of stuff, did you happen to see any of the, any of the TVs that run in Firefox OS?
1: No, oh, that didn't didn't see one.
0: I, I, I'm really curious how that works out. Uh, I guess so. These LGs with WebOS were the ones that would only. Su- these were the these were the TVs that Netflix said will support 4K streaming. So here we have once again. Netflix, yep, doing 4K streaming to a Linux box. WebOS is a Linux-based OS. Meanwhile, it's Linux users out in the cold. Can't. <laughs> <laughs> got to hack Silverlight together in order to watch Netflix. Yeah, yep. but, but they're using they're using Linux. They're
1: using it, but they're they're oh so frustrated. Well, come on, I mean, they got to pay for uh, House of Cards, right? They got to pay for it <laughs> ha- somehow. So for yeah, they got big money. They got to pay Kevin Spacey to.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, bring in the uh, mumbo room here in case they have any questions about uh, about CES. But I I just you know I was curious. But what there, did you think? But there there were definitely some items
1: at CES. We were talking about this in the pre-show. Uh, a company by the name of Ativitas makes a uh, handheld, a customizable controller. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's for PC and Linux. Uh, by the way, you know uh, you know Chris uh, was telling me, hey, we're gonna bring you on uh, the Linux Action Show. Part of the thing in the back of my head was look for you know Linux items as well to bring back yeah. uh, bring back for the show, and uh, not only we saw this this company they make something called the Sinister, and it, <laughs> I love the name, yeah, I like the name, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's a great thing. And for those who are watching the video feed, basically it's a it's a handheld controller. It's fully customizable. Uh, you can extend it out but also has these little modules with buttons on them, joysticks or whatever, and they're they're literally plug and play, and you can do it while it's plugged into the system.
0: So this is a USB controller. Right. Does this replace the keyboard, or what does this do exactly?
1: Yeah, yeah, basically it does. So you plug your mouse into this. So there is a USB oh. port. Okay. So you can use your favorite USB mouse, and then this is a handheld controller. So remember a Logitech made a couple of years ago. I think it's like the G19 or G58, you know, one of those monikers. Oh, with all the keys. With all the keys. Well, take that, add haptic feedback to it, which is very, very cool. So you feel the pulsation of every single bullet huh. that you fire. But then fire. you could also move the modules around on the fly and like, all right, I need to pull out this button controller module and put in a joystick module and just pop it in. Oh. Yeah. Yeah that up with the oculus Rift. oh now right. wouldn't that be a good yes. combo so right now uh as you can see by the picture these parts have been 3d printed what uh, yeah so they're, they're still they're still working on this right now this is a this very, is really early days. this is alpha they're say, they told me they are six months out they are six months out uh basically these are held in place by magnets and it works uh, i was actually playing some call of duty and uh, so I had one of their mice's and I was using that, and we we moved some modules around while I was playing, and it worked seamlessly.
0: Huh. And uh, while you were there, they specifically stated Linux support.
1: Yep, they did, and actually, I believe they stated it on their website too, PC and Linux. They specifically
0: say that. This is interesting because uh, I don't know if it would replace the keyboard for me, but I I don't know. I wonder if if I, I mean, could, you could have... see
1: the thumb. You know, he's also got buttons here. I, there's all other images. Let me uh, sc- uh, scroll through. Um. Uh, But as you can see, here's another better image. You know, here on his, he moved uh, the little uh, thumbstick module that was here. He moved it here. Interesting. So, you know, he Mm -hmm. had a a little bit of a look button. Um, So, yeah, this is one of those pieces of technology that they don't even have a price point for yet. Uh, But you can fully customize the length of it. You plug your mouse into it, and it works great.
0: I'm, I'm really fascinated by these alternative inputs for the computer because it feels like the keyboard and mouse awesome as it is right um is very old school yeah and there has to be a more efficient way to almost more instinctively and organically interact with these computers because i feel like the only thing now at this point i know this sounds there's a
1: good picture there (laughs)
0: that is a really good picture you could see that more as more of a controller there yeah I feel like right now, like, I was playing very briefly. Do you remember when we went to PAX? I picked up that pedal switch. Yep, yep. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, the, uh, what was it, the stinky foot.
0: Yeah, the stinky foot, yeah. Yeah, stinky mm-hmm. foot. <laughs> And for a, for a brief period in time, I was using that. Every time I'd put, use my, I'd drop my foot on that, it would drop down a terminal screen for me, and I could type in the terminal, and then I'd and you, tap it again, and yeah. it would bring the terminal back up, and it would slide up and down on my screen. Yeah. That was awesome for about two days, and then I did the show, I talked about it, and I left it out in the studio, and I didn't bring it back to my desk, and I never hooked it up again.
1: Oh I was, I thought you were going to say you got some sort of repetitive uh foot injury from
0: <laughs> from using it so many times. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, I mean my foot was fine, but it was like it was neat to interact with the computer in a different way, but then at the end at the end of the day it's like, well, I can't have this at every computer I use, right? Yeah. And this is a problem I see with a lot of this stuff is where voice and and hand gestures and movements eventually could be integrated into every computer that has the appropriate sensors. These types of controllers are going to require that every computer you sit down at has this device connected to it, and I just don't see that happening.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's one of those situations where, you know, as we're seeing it with the Oculus, right, is different ways to interact, mm-hmm. uh, different input devices, mm-hmm. but it's still encouraging to see that you have a company. Now, I, I don't think I touched on it enough. This device also has haptic feedback. So you could be playing a game or doing something where you you fire upon something and you feel feedback in your fingertips, depending on what you're shooting at.
0: That's cool.
1: Yeah, that is pretty cool for gaming. Yeah, but also you could use it for for other purposes, I guess. You know, uh, say, I wonder
0: if there's some way accessibility-wise, like if there was a way to right. provide feedback to maybe a blind user. Yeah,
1: I I could see that for that, sure. That could be pretty cool. Yeah, like they they know that they're in the sentence or they're typing. I you know I'm not sure. I don't use much ac- accessibility stuff, but yeah. But no, it's it's one of the most interesting things I saw. Another thing which I don't have any pictures of, uh, I have to post the interview up still. Uh, but this uh, there's a company that was basically creating a uh, an, a new controller that will supposedly work on PC, Linux, and also next gen consoles.
0: Another controller.
1: Yeah, huh. but this particular interface is essentially uh, based upon. Um, Ultrasonic waves and what? sound. What they were? They were tucked away. No one covered this. No one
0: found. I haven't it. heard of this at all.
1: Yeah. So yeah. Uh, basically, it, you know how the Kinect works, right? You know, it, or, or the cameras, uh, and cameras and infrared and infrared and and stuff. Yeah. Well, this is using uh, ultrasonic waves. So it it pings back and forth between like you, a submarine, <laughs> essentially. One ping only. What one ping only, Vasily? One ping only. One <laughs> ping only. Uh, so. The controller, there's these uh, these sensors that are placed on top of the TV and on the sides of the TV. And it knows, based upon proximity to those sensors, how close or far away that controller is. So if you're making a an aiming motion or oh. a
0: shooting motion... Like if I'm holding a gun sideways like a right, gangster?
1: It knows that you're holding it sideways. And I'm a gangster. And that you're a gangster. Yeah. And it knows it within one one hundred thousandth of an inch.
0: Wow! That's way better than I would know it.
1: Right. Uh, So part of the problem, I guess, uh, with—and they explained it to me in the interview. uh, A lot of it's over my head right now. But uh, they explained to me that, you know, the problem with Connect and these other services, it it doesn't uh, have—it's not very good at depth perception per se. Oh, interesting. Uh, Not very accurate. While it can emulate and knows that your arm's going up and down, it doesn't know necessarily that you're—let's say if I move my hand uh, from one foot behind to one foot forward— it doesn't necessarily know that I've moved my hand one foot forward. Mm -hmm. So with the ultrasonic, it actually is, you know, it knows that all the time between my hand being here and here has changed. It can emulate that onto the screen. So
0: you have just told Matt and I and the Mumble Room about two different types of uh, interface devices, not even counting Oculus Rift, but let's throw that in there. So three different types of brand new ways to interact with your computer. And I can't help thinking all of these You'd you could see working on the Steam box before you see them working anywhere else. That's true. Because all Valve has to do is place a call to these guys, these little guys, right? I mean, dude, if you are making this controller on your three D printer and Gabe calls you up, yeah, you're gonna answer that call. And if Gabe says, "Hi there, we'd like to work with you to integrate support for this into Steam OS," shit, yeah, you're gonna do that. And you see how they have such an advantage here if they take if they just grasp it by the sack. And they you just
1: don't, you know what I want to see. Um so we uh this was uh, talked about in the mumble room before the show. Uh Razer was there, mm. big gaming company, mm-hmm. showing off one gaming related item and one non gaming related uh-huh. item. Uh-huh. Uh the gaming related item is called Project Christine.
0: Right, the modular PC. We talked about this on last. Yeah,
1: we we had a uh, we had a actual private interview. We got uh we got an interview, we got pictures, we got oh, video of the whole thing. That's
0: going to be a video to watch.
1: Yeah. Uh, now we weren't able to actually touch any of the modules <laughs> oh, okay. well, yes and no, so they had a they had two systems pre set up okay so basically uh i don 't know if you've seen pictures of Project Christine, but it's you know it's a modular based system uh that is of course a concept at this point for them, right, very much so, very much so however it it looks phenomenal, and you know what I take that back when I said i didn 't see tux Tux was there, Tux was there. At the Razer booth. Oh, really? Because on the front of Project's Christine's box is a touch screen. Yeah, okay? I,
0: we were talking about this in the last. It looked very, it very it looked very high tech. In fact, Matt said he'd buy it because of the screen alone. Well, the, the, this well, is true.
1: Well, the screen actually had three uh, three logos on it. It had a Tux logo. It had a uh, um, Windows logo, and I forget the third logo. It wasn't Steam or anything. Uh, but yeah, it is fully modular. So on the back, you you pop in your SSDs, you, you pop in your your memory and your CPU. The the, the power supply is also module, and uh, it just looks very very sexy. It's a very very nice. Now, granted though, it's very very proprietary. Sure, sure. And so you know, we were we were <laughs> blackout twenty four probably an OS two warp logo. Uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> haven't haven't seen that busted out in a while. Uh, so uh, they obviously didn't have a price point for us, uh, but they did tell us some, some really cool details on what they, their thoughts were on this. Oh, yeah? But it's, it's one of those things where it'd be good for the beginner, quote-unquote. Yeah. And Joe and I, uh, the, the, the co-host on, on Minecraft Me, and we were talking about this in a theoretical sense. What if they set this up like a cell phone? Where you buy the system? So for say two to three hundred dollars, you sign a two year agreement. You pay a hundred dollars a month, and as they update modules, they that you get, yeah. In you fact, get I think Razer was
0: even talking about a subscription service. Yeah. So I I thought Matt Matt made a throwaway remark on the Linux Action Show on Sunday that I thought was really poignant, and Matt said, "If people will buy the Mac Pro." People might buy this Razer PC because it has a lot of the advantages of a Mac Pro with that with that oil cooling, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. It's yep. uh, it's super uh, it's super slick looking, but it's way more powerful. But but
1: here's the big but, right? Well, potentially more powerful. Yeah, big but here with Apple, you know that they're not going to go away tomorrow, right? You you know that I mean they've been around for a while. Uh, You know they're going to support their devices for a while. The parts that you buy for it are not really proprietary. But do you
0: really know the Mac Pro is going to be around for a while?
2: I don't think you do. Yeah, they they change and drop stuff enough to where it's kind of like the the, the company itself. But I think that form factors and such, it's like, you know what we need? We need a garbage can that runs software. (laughs) (laughs) You put that out there. It's just like, wow, really? If if, if you came to me from five years in the
0: future and you said, yeah, well, that was the last Mac Pro Apple ever made, you would not surprise me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I see what you're saying, whereas like Razer could start it and then never make another one.
1: But I'm one. very, very afraid because if I wanted to get a new hard drive, I would have no no choice but to go through Razer. I have no other yeah, options, right? Yeah, that sucks. That's, that's, that's
2: actually a good point. Yeah, yeah.
1: that does suck. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I think it was iFixit it the, the breakdown of the new Mac Pro. Yeah. Granted, there is no way of doing it at this point. But you, but could you can drop, swap out the parts. You could drop in a new CPU. Yeah. You could.
0: Or a new SSD.
1: That's going to be such a closed environment on on the Razer You've side gotta of You've got to buy a Razer component. You're going to have to buy a Razer component. Yeah. Without yeah.
0: oil cooling hookup. Or without voiding
1: your warranty and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, we'll, wow. We have to say, Cool.
0: Cold water port on that one. Sorry. I just thought it would be the ultimate Linux rig.
1: No, I bet it would. I bet it would be incredible. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, right? I mean, here's the only thing, though. If you're going to buy one, if they ever come out with it, first off, if you're going to buy it after it comes out, maybe... Uh, maybe wait six months yeah. and then buy it, Yeah, don't don't be an early adopter on it, even though it's
0: very, very yeah. cool, Matt. Yeah. Uh, even though that screen's awesome.
1: Gotta, <laughs> wait. <You> gotta wait.
0: Gotta <laughs> wait. Well, so uh, we I feel like we're doing a disservice. Now, I don't really... I, we gotta talk about 4K, but I don't mean in a TV sense. Did you see any computer monitors you could actually see yourself buying? I'm picturing yes, GNOME yes, 3 on a 4K yes, display.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> LG had an incredible... is a 21 by 9 ratio. So 21 by nine, <laughs> that makes me uncomfortable on the inside. It's ultra wide, Chris. It's very ultra wide. That sounds ultra wide. Yeah, I know it is. Uh, but uh, the uh, LG had a few monitors there. Uh, and actually, I think you're going to uh, bring it bring up one of the Ah, yeah, yeah I saw that there. There's so, a 30 inch guy. What'd you think of this? Oh my god. So you could put literally four 1080p screens on on here. 4 1080p screens. Four 1080p, so so corner 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 wow. I
0: mean for video editing this just this is oh oh
1: you know I when I went over there in the the I think one of their spokes models uh, and yeah she was pretty hot I was like <laughs> I was like <laughs> yeah. I was like, I so want this right now um it's 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 so cool now granted though the problem is when you're looking at super high def or ultra high def or 4K or however you want to explain it you got to make sure that you have a pretty good video card that can right. push this thing. Right. Cuz remember, it's not just the size of the monitor, it's the size it's the resolution, it's, it's the pixels. And
0: that's so much bandwidth.
1: Oh, oh it is. Yeah,
0: and I've I've heard like in some cases what they're doing is they're splitting it into two 1080p signals and they're and they're what they're doing is or not even that's not even a fair way to say it, but no. they're essentially having it so you have uh, sort of like we used to have... dual screen's
1: handling, handling one side, yeah, and half exactly. the screen's the other Yeah, thank other you.
0: Side, yeah. Right. Yeah. It, So maybe that makes it a little more uh, accommodable, but... Well, here's the good news, right? DisplayPort,
1: I believe, handles 4K signal just fine. Uh, yeah. I also believe the new HDMI spec 1.4, uh, I could be wrong there, uh, also handles that new spec right. as well. So right. you still just have one cable going to your monitor. Uh, but the thing is, like you, Chris, I see this as a great production tool for gaming, probably not. And the and, sorry gamers, and the reason for that is simple. While it'd be great to have that that big real estate, you can get big real estate now, and don't need 4K high def. I mean, a lot of games will probably not even right now with the, the current graphics that are out there but would probably struggle with that kind of resolution.
0: I'm looking at how wide this is, yeah. and there's really no way to visualize this unless you're looking at the video no, version of this show. No. But I and mean, not and not even the quality either. It's you, like you two sixteen by nine displays put together yeah, in length. Yeah. In width. It's and beautiful. And you
1: you could watch, for example, a, a theater movie without bars because it's at the correct theater aspect ratio.
0: I was just thinking, you know, when I'm doing this show, uh, you know, I've got one, two, three, four, five.
1: You could do it all on one, Chris. Yeah. I got you five could, screens going right you now. You could literally do this on one, or maybe just two, because you know you want to. Well, yeah. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's gotta look like a cockpit <laughs> after all. Yeah. I uh I'd like you to try to mirror that twice. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's going to make mirroring displays to the uh, live stream capture a little more difficult. Of course, 4K live streams are going to be a a little ways out there.
1: Well, you know, I've heard podcasters go like, hey, I want to do a 1080p live stream. I'm thinking no one's going to be able to watch it. Right. And yeah. and and now 4K. Yeah, I mean, who's gonna want to see the pores on my skin? No. <laughs> exactly, I mean, come right. on. But
0: for yeah. video game reviews and software reviews, I'd want it. Uh,
1: oh well, you you yeah. You know what? It reminds me of uh, maybe
0: webs. Maybe the web's gonna be okay with HD for a long time.
1: You know, we saw this already in Back to the Future too. When Marty sat down from his long day at work, right, he says, yeah. "Show me 17, 45, 37, and then Weather Channel, <laughs>
0: right. and it was all
1: on one big panel, That's right? right? Yep. So we're we're seeing the future uh, come to come to light.
0: So true. Yeah so true. Well, um, I, we got to shift gears here. I want to talk about some big news. There was a really big uh, 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 Linux uh, gadget for the home that was purchased recently, and uh, I, I want to talk about that briefly. But before we get to that, I've got to thank Ting.com, another sponsor of Linux Unplugged, and Ting is mobile that makes sense. My mobile service provider and Matt's mobile service provider. Yes. Matt's rocking the note, too. I'm rocking the Nexus 5 right here. What do you think, Chase?
1: Uh, you know what? My f- Speaking of phones, my mm-hmm. HTC one's coming back, but... I'm I'm really close to jumping ship to something else. Well,
0: you might consider the Nexus Five. I mean, oh, that I know. weight and that it, it definitely beats the HTC One there, and I love weight. the screen too oh, and no. the thinness. Yeah. yeah. So uh, let's talk about Beautiful. Ting. So. Go over to uh, ting dot, or linux.ting.com. That's how you're going to get started. If you go to linux.ting.com, that'll take $25 off your first device if you don't have one. If you've got a Sprint-compatible device, they've got a BYOD page. You can check out what is uh, compatible with the Ting network. If you bring your own device, they'll take $25 off your first month of service. Now, average for, for Jupyter Broadcasting switchers, the average monthly bill is about $33 a month. How do I know that? Because hundreds of Linux Action Show and Linux Unplugged and Coda Radio and TechSnap fans have switched over to and there's a good reason you only pay for what you use they take your minutes your messages and your megabytes at the end of the month they add them all up whatever bucket you fall into that's what you pay over at ting.com plus they have an incredibly powerful dashboard and if you've struggled managing your wireless account setting up where calls go setting up call forwarding setting up and deactivating phones let me tell you ting refreshes all of that they bring it into the into the 2000s and even into 2014 that's right has a 2014 compatible dashboard, and I suggest you go over to linux.ting.com to get started. And by the way, now's a better time than ever. They have a savings calculator that's linked right at the beginning, right there at the front when you go to linux.ting.com. If you use that savings calculator, plug in your existing wireless bill. Like Mr. Chase over here, he has one of the top two. And if he went over there and plugged in his wireless bill, I have. He might shed a tear.
1: Oh, actually, you know a what? A singular tear. I will say this. I'm ve- I'm ve- very very close to my unlimited data because yeah, I'm one of the right, few people right. that still have it, and yeah. I have done this. Yeah, and if I honestly didn't have unlimited data, You'd do it, then I would do this.
0: Well, see, and this is great for me because I was in your I was in your same position, but what I realized is that I had this massive voice contract that I was right. I was using a tiny fraction of. I was paying. 100- oh, yeah,
1: the voice we, we overpay for
0: voice so much. I was paying. $120 per month for my smartphone plan. Now, I pay around $30 per month. I get tethering and hotspot included, which is amazing. uses just the built-in Android features. And If you try out their savings calculator and you tweet out your results, you'll be entered into a drawing to one of the Samsung Galaxy S4 for free. Plus, there's going to be other lucky Ting uh, 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 contestants who get a $50 Ting credit. So If you go over to linux.ting.com, use that savings calculator, which is linked right there in the middle of the page with all of the happy people. You try that out, tweet out your savings results bob's your uncle you can get entered to draw a samsung galaxy s4 from ting and i'm telling you you're going to be so happy it's the beginning of a new year folks 2014 just started now's a better time than ever to go save by going to linux.ting.com and find out what i've been talking about and why i've been a happy customer for over a year now linux.ting.com and a huge thank you to ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. I'm serious, you guys. Bob's your uncle. This is a cell phone company that is doing it right, and we should support them for doing it right. They're going to clean up the wireless industry one customer at a time, and I really mean it. Okay. So, Chase, since you're here, I felt like it would only be appropriate, in the spirit of Linux Unplugged, we should play a news clip. So, uh, right now, (laughs) on the show, (laughs) I know, right? Breaking news.
1: (laughs) wait 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 today's tuesday right yeah, i just want to yeah, make sure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right. here we go google buys nest labs for 3.2 oh, yeah. billion dollars
2: in a surprising move google is getting into the home appliance business the internet company announced monday that they're buying nest labs for more than 3 billion dollars nest is known for reinventing home products like high-tech thermostats and smoke detectors this is google's second largest acquisition to date and it's all part of its expansion into your home so let's Talk about this is obviously bring back in chief business correspondent Christine Romans. Surprising, and <laughs> you think it's a surprise? You know, move? I think this is Google wants to be a part of this home appliance interconnected world. Like, Look, what Nest does, it's this really cool device that it knows. It starts to learn your behavior and changes the temperature of your home based on what you're doing. Uh, it also has these really cool um, smoke detectors that are not annoying. There's actually a woman's voice that says there is smoke detected and it's not like screaming at you. You can wave your hand and it will go off. So it's very user-friendly stuff. It's interesting, the guy who runs the company used to be at Apple Helped design the iPod, you know, change the clunky Walkman into something that's cool and user friendly. Now, doing the same thing with home appliances, I think is a total natural fit for Google to get into this. What's so cool about nest is nest getting to know about you nest oh, yeah. discovers you <laughs> <Sounds> Google <like. laughs> obviously does the same thing I mean, is that the synergy here is this just a way for Google to get more places and find out more stuff about you I mean Google will now know what the temperature is in your bedroom John Berman if they
3: hot, if you hot, have hot. A nap. <laughs> Oh, geez.
0: Yeah, so uh, Google has bought one of the biggest Internet of Things, uh, let's put lots of air quotes around that, device manufacturers Nest Labs for $3.2 billion. That's right, the maker of the smart thermostat and smoke detectors, and they've paid for it in cash. Wow. Nest has raised around $800 million from investors, including Google Ventures as one of the people... Now it's not exactly clear how Google plans to use Nest, but the company obviously sees it as an important part of its future. A combination of Nest home solutions coupled with Google's language recognition could give Google its strongest path yet to the into your home. And this is a quote here: "Google will help fully realize our Google will help us fully realize our vision of the conscious home and allow us to change the world faster than we could if we continue to go it alone." Wrote uh, the uh, owner of Nest Labs. We've got great momentum. And now, we've got a rocket ship.
1: You so, know, guys. I'm afraid. I'm sorry.
0: Are you Google's, comfortable? Already, Google's already everywhere. We don't need them in our homes.
3: Do you guys oh. remember those... Um, uh, there was like a comic strip a while back uh, with the Google Toilet uh, where Google was analyzing <laughs> what you were eating and recommending restaurants for you? Oh, jeez. <laughs> it, I guess it's becoming real now.
0: Um, I think that we should get it out of here. <laughs> nice. I like how you're uh, uh, indirectly asking for a get it out of here RMs quote.
1: I think, I think we uh, should rename the show Linux Unfiltered.
0: Well, so let's be honest. Don't we all want to live with Jarvis? Don't we all want the starship Enterprise where when something bad happens we can look around and we can just say,
3: "Computer, what happened?"
0: I want to know. I want to have Major Barrett at the ready and say, you know, "Tea, Earl Grey, hot," and maybe Google's the company to make all of this happen.
2: Matt, what do you think? Uh, honestly, I think that this is going to be about as compelling as I don't know an Alta Vista purchase or something like that. I, you know, I don't really see this as being that big a deal. Uh, first of all, Nest doesn't work very well. Um, I'm just going to put that out there. I know people that have tried it and used it, and it's. Uh, you know, it, it's it's kind of like a, an Android-powered crockpot. It, it's cool for a while, but it's not really going to be as, uh, hey, as, as cost-savings as people think. Be
1: careful making fun of Android-powered crockpots. I saw one at the show. <laughs> they exist. Does it
2: put the food in it for me, though? I mean, Unfortunately, that's really it does thing. not. And my <laughs> wife brought up a very good point. If you left your food raw sitting in that crockpot for X period of time, and then you're turning it on, is it safe to eat? You know. Yeah. It's, yeah. So there's little things like that. I don't know. I definitely am – yeah, you know, I'm I'm but kind of lukewarm on it. I, I think it was a big drain. Where was Android when Google
1: bought Android?
2: Well, nowhere. Exactly. S- the same place the guy
0: that created DOS was before Microsoft bought it. Here's what I ask you, oh. my friends, is... Uh, are we concerned at all about, and let's let's abuse the term, quote-unquote, Internet of Things, are we all concerned about the Internet of Things being these Linux-based devices that we have no control over, we have no access to the source code, and now that we are putting them in our home, we're installing them into our home, we're putting them on our walls, we're integrating them in with our daily lives, as a homeowner, as a homeowner, don't you want to be able to build and extend your deck? Don't you want to be able to alter the way your 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 furnace works? aren't we becoming the operators of the devices instead of the controller of the devices in our very own home? Aren't we surrendering control of our homes to even even if it's just in the smallest degree, even if it's just in the most minute way, aren't we surrendering control of our homes to corporations? I think the Omnish had it right. You know, technology has just taken over us. We don't need it, really. Mm-hmm. For the Omnish. Well, let me ask you, Chase, and I'll ask you this. Yeah. Um, I honestly am... Pretty much a stupid hairless monkey. And I can barely keep my shit together. And I'm amazed. You have that a I...
1: luscious beard, though. And
0: Chris. I got to tell you, it impresses me that I managed to show up and do a show every single day. I don't even know how that happens. Right. And I believe <laughs> it is only because of technology that I can get this far. So maybe this stupid hairless monkey who's only been out of the jungle for a few thousand years, maybe I need more technology to make me more of a superior being. Am I just being afraid to change? Am I just, am I just this is new, this is different? I don't like it. See, I... I
1: like Nest. I don't have one yet and I want to get one just because of the fact that there's some really cool innovations in the home automation world and the home uh, technology front. And to have those abilities to help make your life easier. I mean, let's say for example, you're cooking in the kitchen, okay? And I know you like to do the paleo thing, you're making some really good ribs, you're making some good stuff, mm-hmm. but let's say you accidentally burn something. Maybe right? the bacon catches on fire. Maybe it does. Grease fires happen. And, and so Chase. so and they do, unfortunately. So what <laughs> So let's say, you know, that your your detector's going off, right? What do you do today? You open up all the windows. Yep, yep. You clear I, it out. you wave it you with wave a, towel a towel or something. <laughs> Wouldn't yeah. it be easier just to pop up your phone and say, oh, false alarm. Done. And it's off. Yeah. You know, it's it's, it's those innovations that help make your life easier. And I don't see Google – this is where I, I, I kind of get weird by it. It's like, what is Google going to be doing with this? Now, a lot of people forget, in the past, Google had um, – they worked with some power companies. I don't know
0: if it's called oh, Google yeah, yeah. Power. Yeah, I remember. But you have the
1: ability to track your power usage, right?
0: And so, by the way, yeah. During this time, during this study, which I believe this has actually now been discontinued by Google, Google figured out, and I'm not. This is not a joke. You can look this up. They figured out what shows you were watching based on the power draw of your plasma TV because Whoa. when your plasma TV is brighter, yeah. it, is, it yeah. draws more power, and they would yep. watch which shows had more white in them. They could figure out an algorithm, and then watching your power draw, they could figure out what shows you were watching at what time.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I like this technology. Actually, I got some kickstarters that I still have uh, yet to get here. Uh, one's... Uh, One's a, a plug that works off of Wi Fi. You plug it in the outlet and it, it tells you the draw from that outlet. Yeah, also I like one, that a lot. Kilowatts that, are great. Yeah, one that runs off of the meter itself so you know the oh. measurement of the house coming, uh, really? the power coming <coughs> in your house
0: creepy,
1: man. But I like having that information because it makes me a, a
0: smarter well, person. That's why I'm wearing a Fitbit right, right now. I like to track my sleep. So so, like-
1: so why wouldn't you want that on uh, on a house level? Why wouldn't you want that kind of customizable information on a house level?
0: I do, but I don't want it reporting back to some central cloud com- computing company.
3: Exactly. Okay, so as someone exactly. who plays with thermostats quite a bit, uh, I can tell you that most of what uh, Nest is doing, you can achieve by uh, uh, using Arduino with a Bluetooth shield. Ding, 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 ding. It, yep. Yep. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. It's not that hard to do. It, what, it's, they it's mirrors, yep. just, it, what they provide is just a, a nice box and a, a, and a solution that you can just plug in, and it works. So with a little right, bit right. of effort, you can have the same thing running uh, that's open source, open hardware and you have full control over uh, what information it's collecting and where that information is going.
0: True, but you have to set yeah. all that up yourself. And Matt, you know, looks familiar is bringing it up in the chat room, but in the in, in a post-Edward Snowden world where we know that the NSA is working with all of these companies, Google being one of them, yep. should we be worried about some sort of privacy invasion
2: here from gov- government overreach? I, I think so. Yeah, I think home automation is cool for those, the very, very minute, Part of the population that really cares. Um, you know. I think that it's very cool, but I think that it's – for Google to spend this much money on it, I think they're kidding themselves. As someone that works in this industry, I'm telling you they don't have any idea how hard it is to get people to adopt stuff like this. Right. They have no concept. They went into this blind. They overpaid, and yeah, they I mean,
0: have a 3. really –
2: yeah, they have a really great way of doing it. Don't get me wrong. I mean as far as like interface and equipment and all that, it's really glossy, really sexy stuff. No question there. And, it's, and it is cool to be able to like turn your smoke detector off. But as far as there's other variables with regarding to uh, – especially like with thermostats and stuff like that, energy prices, weather outside. There's a lot of things going on that people don't realize that Nest does not address. And the, and the gentleman that brought up the whole point on the uh, managing your own thermostat, that's what Nest does. Yeah. That's, that's literally – that's it's their big claim to
3: fame. Yeah. It's really um, weak. Yeah. Three point two billion is not that much for Google,
2: and I not think for Google, a lot no, of it
3: no. was no. patents, too. They probably did it for patents.
2: I, th- I think they did it as a preventive measure. They know right now it has no value. They know that yeah. in the future I mean, it has a huge value. So look at so this, think, just the you know, straight right.
0: tie-in with Google Now. So Google Now knows you know where you're at when you're at they that did place, it for data. and maybe yeah. you're, maybe you're on your way home. Google Now would say it has has detected. By the way, you've you've set home on your map destinations so we will automatically turn on the heater in your house so your house is comfortable and you know of course the only thing i can think about these days is the new studio for jupiter broadcasting and i think about the fact that wouldn't it be cool if some thermostat learned when i showed up to do shows and made sure that i was comfortable when i got there and then was saved money when i left and i and i look at this and i think i don't like all the privacy implications but i sure like not having to worry about one one more thing one more thing that i don't have to think about is is worth a lot to me
3: Right, exactly. Well, I mean, the, once the, the again, buttons. you could do that. Like something as simple as this can actually be done with any thermostat. Yeah, Any programmable thermostat that you yeah. can buy uh, in any hardware. That's store. fine you for could, you uh, and probably, I, but you're not going to. You you're probably, not
0: going to yeah. convince Grandma and Grandpa who are shopping at Walmart to <laughs> to buy this. But what will happen in in five years, in 10 years? If you look at Android, at at the beginning, it was nothing. Look at it now. Uh, In in the meantime, it was all open source great. Now it's closing to uh, Google now. What will happen with this? Right, right this is the big concern and not only now it's one thing when we're talking about our laptops and our desktop and we're talking about closed and proprietary software that we can't do anything about but it completely is different when it's a piece of hardware that controls my home if it, if yes. there's ever been a case for the gpl it's right there in my opinion
3: and it's well, hardware and, in your home
2: that's the other thing another
3: yeah. thing that i want to point out and you mentioned the whole post snowden thing uh i think it, it's just a matter of time now Um uh, before products uh, start appearing on the market as competition to Google, as more people become aware of that, you know, their in- personal information being reported back and mm. used for marketing and sometimes being reported to governments. There's going to be a competitor market where they use, uh, you know, words like respecting your privacy as a
0: sure.
1: uh,
3: something that... Uh, people will want to buy it the same way. It's a feature that people. can become competitive yes.
0: with. Yeah. So
3: the same way people buy stuff because it's green now or organic, right? Yep.
0: Yeah, I I can see that for sure. It's, yeah, exactly. Boy, that's a great, sort of like things are labeled organic. You could have things that are labeled secure in, in that exactly. same sort of marketing exactly. sense. Yeah, and, and that was and one and of my 2014 And then, of course, there's things.
2: certified organic and then there's organic. Right. You know, there's, that. that <laughs> when they're, certified to be,
0: and, you know, Mozilla has been making this case right this very week. Mozilla has been calling on the internet community to say, look, there's only one browser that is truly open source, top to bottom, that is used by the majority of users on the web, and that's Firefox. Chrome's great, but if you want top to bottom transparency, you got to come to Mozilla. Now, obviously, there's other browsers out there that are open source, but in terms of usage... Firefox aka Mozilla makes a very good point here, and this could be a point and, and, and you already see people that are using this as a feature right uh, John M- uh, McAfee he's all over the web right now talking about how he's building an NSA proof appliance in our subreddit right now there's a thread about the NSA proof Twitter this is becoming yeah. a marketing buzz yeah right?
1: Right.
0: so yeah I think you, I think maybe we've got we've got it nailed here some people will buy devices that are tied in with these with this overall monitoring network. And there'll be users like us who are willing to maybe go a little bit extra through the trouble, a little bit extra. Maybe we have to get a specific image. Maybe we have to buy a Raspberry Pi, but we can roll our own
2: solution. Yeah. What a great way to kickstart the economy! You know, create a problem, offer a solution. It seems to be exactly. kind of exactly. And
3: and I think yeah. this is going to be uh, become a push not only for open source software but also for open uh, source hardware. Yeah, yeah. because then yeah. that Truth. manufacturer or the company can say, hey people can actually review what goes into our products and tell you yes this actually respects your privacy this doesn't report anything you wouldn't want uh, to anyone else
1: the only problem with all that is you know obviously people uh, the, the end uh, company or the the maker of that wants to make money right of course you mm-hmm. know you know yeah. that's what drives a lot of people <laughs> And when you completely make it fully open like that, how do you protect IP? How do you protect your intellectual property on that kind of a system if you have it completely wide open?
0: Right. We've seen it work in some cases for like a server load where you got Red Hat and they can sell commercial support. But how do you make it work in a and let's let's go into the future here. How do you make it work Every in a world thousand. in the year? Yeah, how do you make it work when anybody can download a spec off the internet and print their own device and then they load right. the software themselves? How yeah. do you stay competitive? Yeah. Because that is a reality we are facing. It's very, soon. it's very, well, big, I can yeah. tell
3: you right now, and you, you've admitted to this uh, yourself a uh, few minutes before sometimes just because it takes a little bit more effort, it's already too much for some people to be interested like if it takes yeah. uh you building your uh, own arduino with a shield to to make a secure nest uh, like thermostat it's already too much work so you yeah. p- prefer to pay someone else to do that work for you um and it's it's the same uh you know if someone else uh creates um um fork of, of some open source uh, uh, project, then it, it it doesn't necessarily mean that it will be uh, Huge. done Huge. as well. Like yeah. Arduino being a great example here, there is many copies of Arduino. Many of them are good, but no one actually provides um, as good of a quality product right. as the original makers of Arduino.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a great uh, point. And that's... Hey, Andy-
3: I'm just waiting for the day that Jarvis becomes reality. (laughs) That
2: would be awesome.
0: Google is definitely working on it. And, you know, speaking of Jarvis becoming reality – One of the things that uh, sometimes feels a bit like the future is when your computer talks to you. And there's a really uh, important kick – or actually, it's an Indiegogo campaign that just kicked off this week, bringing digital sight to the vision impaired uh, by the Accessible Foundation. This is an Indiegogo project. they got 31 days left. They're trying to reach $100,000. dollars they got $4,400. Now, I'm a big believer in these types of campaigns being a great way to fund open source development. And what these guys really want to do is they want to get Orca Screen Reader – Uh, to the next level they want to bring it to the next level to make it accessible for the blind and if you've got if you've got any kind of uh uh, you know extra funds and a soft spot for this kind of thing i'm going to link to it in the show notes i just want to give it a plug now uh you can go over to indiegogo.com and also search for bringing digital site and i think that'll bring you to the project as well they're only at forty four hundred dollars 31 days left to go orca screen reader is a great project and it just needs some more
2: love well, they're trying to get to 100K. I submitted it to the subreddit earlier. It looks like it's actually doing pretty well. It is, yeah. Um, the big the big issue here is a lot of people think, yeah, but that doesn't really affect me. And it's kind of like, well, here's the deal. So proprietary desktops have this solved for years now. Yeah. It's really not an issue. Yeah. So it's a non, non-starter for them. Um, for Linux, it's something we've tripped over for years. And we've seen all these quasi half done, kind of sort of started projects that then falter and fall apart and never really become a thing. Orca is the only thing that's really ever stuck around and stayed, mm-hmm. but it has kind of hit a glass ceiling and it exactly. does need some serious fundage. Yeah.
0: So I'll put a link down in the show notes if this is something you guys have some interest in. I'd love to see these guys get somewhere because uh, I, you know. Uh, about
2: adoption. Th- yeah.
0: yeah, it really is, and it's about making Linux accessible to a, mm. a whole new uh, class of folks who, who yeah. really deserve it. Uh, and then we got an email. I want to just wrap it up with an email from George, where he says, Hey, guys, uh, congrats on the show. It's become the highlight of my week online. I wanted to say something about your reviews. Don't get me wrong. I completely <laughs> understand the big development team slash company, mm-hmm. like, you know, Sousa, Canonical, versus the smaller development teams, like your Mints and your Manjeros. Situation that these smaller distros might not... Uh, They might not exist one day or in the near future. But I believe that there is innovation in usability, ideas, and custom solutions comes from these smaller teams. And the only thing that they have in mind is the target of how to offer the user something completely new and different from the established. There are distros out there that offer exactly that. And you know what? It doesn't matter that they disappear from one day because plenty will replace them and innovation never ends. Having said that, it would be nice to do a review of some of the smaller distros that are simply wonderful to use. How about Sabian 1401 for rolling? Or Netrunner 1312, which beats Kubuntu by a long way. Just giving food for thought. Keep up the good work. So, Matt, I have created okay. in the show notes just – I. Like a boss, I embedded them right in the show notes, a survey <laughs> that folks – actually, not even a survey. It's a quick form that folks can fill out and answer uh, which distro they think is the innovative little guy. Is there a small distro that just at some point has impressed the heck out of you? If you've been impressed by a little distro and you want to see it get a review on the Linux Action Show, there is an embedded form in the show notes. I'll also paste it in the IRC chat room for those of you watching live – Right now, you can go out there and fill it out. It's three simple questions the name of the distro, the website URL, and what you thought was great about it. You submit those to us. I'll collect all of them, and then uh, we'll uh, do whichever one kind of comes ahead, we'll do a
2: review on the Linux Action Show in the future. What do you think of that, Matt? I like that. It's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, personally, I'm kind of throwing my hat into Hannah Montana Linux, but that's just me. <laughs> What Re- I mean it's a struggling distro. What about We've Rebecca really- Black Linux? Can we well, uh- <laughs> you know, I, I like the pink of the Hannah Montana, you know, it really really pinks up the whole situation. That's true. I do like the pink. That's a good point, Matt. <laughs> so uh, yeah. go fill
0: out that form. We'll have it embedded in the show notes, and uh, in the future in a future episode of Linux action show, we'll give that distro a review right there. And uh, you know, I'd really like to find something that does something new and unique, something really kind of innovative that we haven't seen before.
2: Um, and see, that's the real challenge I have with a lot of the distro reviews is that people will say it does, but they never really identify what it is. Um, so, I mean, like with Arch, it's readily identifiable. They did package management in a unique way. They mm-hmm. uh, did a uh, basic installation in a unique way. Everything was done in a they very way. They did everything right. Way. Arch is yeah. the master distro. I agree. It really is. Arch yeah. is perfect. So, it's kind of, but then finding other ones that are basically, it's kind of like, oh, it's kind of like this other one. I don't know. Well, yeah. we'll see. Let's we'll see, see what they come up with. Well,
0: I agree. And I think it could be a fun segment. We're going to call mm-hmm. it the Innovative Little Guy, and we'll give it a review. Maybe we could make a whole series out of it. You never know. Never know. never know. Well, I want to thank you, Mr. Chase, for joining us. Oh, it's been a pleasure. You're going to have a ton of CES coverage. Where can people find that?
1: All week, uh, geekgamer.tv. It'll be out over the next week to two weeks. Should be a lot of great stuff on there.
0: And and probably you'll give uh, notices on Twitter. Where can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, At Nunes, N U N E S, is the best place to follow me on the Twitters. Very good. All right, Matt. Well, uh, if everything goes as planned on Sunday, we're going to have an interview with an amazingly talented photographer who does his entire workflow under Linux, including HDR photography. And we're going to pick his brain and get his workflow. Awesome. Yeah. Who?
1: Yeah. It's really cool. I, I can't wait for that. <laughs>
0: That's gonna be a great show. So uh, all right, man. Well I'll see you on Sunday, okay? See you Sunday? All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. We'll see you right back here next Tuesday.